it's no driving gloves, everybody. And it's going to be a new, hopefully, format a little bit. And we're going to be joined by Will. And then we should have, oops, I almost pushed the wrong person. We had Derek. And our guest tonight is going to be Greg Stanley of RM Auction, or excuse me, RM Sotheby's and the Car Collector Podcast. Boy, that's a kind of a thing I wish we weren't live for. But here we go. <laughs> no driving gloves or a combination of gearheads. John, the instant. Derek, the concern. Will, the builder. Sean, the racer. And maybe a guest. Invite you to listen while they sit down, have a drink, and discuss cars. Subscribe to the podcast No Driving Gloves. Time now for the ride. And we're here. Everybody's in the room, right? Yeah. You? Yeah. Nice. I'm in my room. <laughs> I'm in my blue room. <laughs> yeah. Notice you've got a nice blue tint. It works with the theme for the podcast. Did you do that on purpose, sir? I did not. I did. <laughs> this is the plainest shirt I have. So, <laughs> but thanks for having me, guys. Glad you're here. Yeah. yeah. So the the good old RM game. I I I have memories of RM. I can't remember when when did RM merge with Sotheby's. I can't remember. You're going to ask me some historic stuff. I don't have the answer to. <laughs> uh, I've been with them about two years now. So anything prior to two years, I'm probably not the best source. Of so I can't so. complain about you know 21 years ago. I was up there in uh, Ontario or you know Chatham. Is it Chatham? Interviewing Chatham. with. Uh, interviewing with our complaint, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, know Every, said, but everybody tells me my complaining does me no good, so I shouldn't really do it. <laughs> and and we don't want to, we don't want to go back to 2000, uh, oh gosh, about 2006 or seven when I when I bought a car from RM Auctions in Novi. <laughs> Novi, wow, okay. Now that's yeah, it was actually, I think it was the last, it was either the last or second to last Novi auction. It was when they sold uh, some of the Chrysler collection cars. What'd you buy? I bought the 1917 Overland Model 90 Roadster. That was a, a kind of a basket case that needed restoration. Did you know it was a basket case? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I went and saw it before. I knew the guys at the uh, Ypsilanti office when they had the office there. Yep. And I went over there and looked at it before it even went up for sale. Yeah, Derek, you got the quirky taste, right? I mean, you got a uh, you got a lot of neat stuff. Uh, no, I call it stupid stuff. Stupid stuff. All right. Yeah, it's, it's so, stupid. That's yeah. a good quirky. Quirky's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> we should have the stupid category at Concourse. That would be kind of interesting. Yeah, at least fifty yeah, percent like of us on this podcast tonight are very eclectic with our collections. You, uh, Why are you, you using anything? big words? <laughs> What kind of toys you have in the garage, uh, Greg? Well, it's funny. I had a 66 Mustang convertible. I'm a big Mustang guy. That's the first car I fell in love with. Not a great car. I realize that, but you can't help. You know, the first car you fall in love with is is what it is. <laughs> and I still love them. I'm a, I'm a concourse-driven judge. Uh, love a Shelby, you know. And when I sold the car, I wanted to get the opposite. Because it's all about the driving experience, right? And so I didn't want to get like a 66 or 67 Camaro. I wanted the exact opposite. So let's do a little interview here or poll question. So what, John, is the exact opposite of a 66 Mustang convertible? And I want to hear each of you tell me what your answer is, and we'll see if one of you gets it right. Well, I, I have to disqualify myself because you disclosed that on the podcast that I listened to today. 
Okay. You oh, but I do have a question once we know. John was doing his research. I'm going uh, Chrysler Newport. Good choice. Good I choice. have one of those for sale. Those are pretty cars. All right. Derek. So, wait, I, what is the exact question? What is the polar opposite of a 66 Mustang convertible? Is that what I, is that the question? Yeah, if you want to flip the driving experience, total opposite driving experience from a 66 Mustang. I would say it's not the car, it is the driving experience. Hmm. I should have said something different. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> I'm gonna go said. with uh, I'm gonna go with like a, a late '60s C10 Chevy pickup. I'm, I'm, I've got not, another. Get, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a Corvette because if you want okay. something to handle, you gotta get a Corvette, not a Mustang. You're all wrong, uh, <laughs> but Derek's on the right path. A '99 911. Nice. Oh, engine back. It handles extremely well. Lightweight, six cylinder, not an eight, you know, all that kind of stuff. Different era, couple, couple decades later. So, good choice. Yeah, I could have bought two of them for the price I sold my Mustang for because 996s are cheap, but they're not going to stay that way. Right. And there's a reason they're cheap, and it's one of the primary reasons I got rid of my Porsche. But in the, it wasn't in the Matt Farah podcast. It was one of them that you were doing auction. I can't remember which one you were talking about auctions and stuff and cars and you were telling the story and your co-host or your guest said that the IMS bearing is not that big of a deal anymore and that they've got dozens of ways to fix them. That, what is, what is that? Cause I still hear that it's, that's a, you know, yeah, when yeah, it fails, it's an engine. So I guess there's a way to catch it prior to failure. Yeah. So this is the biggest pain in, about these cars is the IMS bearing. I'm not an expert, but it's a bearing that has half soaked in oil, like near the transmission, near the engine. And if that thing goes, it means like it starts breaking into little metal pieces and you, it blows your engine. And when I researched my 996, all the dealers said, we never, we've never seen one blow over 30,000 miles. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen early. So I started looking for a 911 with 45,000 miles or more. So I bought one with 65,000 miles on it, and I thought I was clear and safe. So I decided, like two years later, I was going to buy this 60, 65 Corvette, but I needed to sell my Porsche to do it. I took it to a place where they would actually do an oil change. I cut the oil filter in half, check it for metal shards. And I basically, I wanted the good, you know, the check mark for good health. So I could consciously sell my 911 knowing the IMS bearing is fine. Well, they cut it in half, and there were metal shards even though I had 65,000 miles on it. So I had to get the IMS bearing replaced and uh, that killed my chance of getting that 65 Corvette, which was unfortunate. But when they do that, they got to take out the transmission. So you might as well get a new clutch. I tell everybody factor in four grand into the price. If it hasn't had a new IMS bearing and just get it done and don't worry about it. And then you're good. You're good. Good for it. That goes exactly with, I guess, where I, I've thought. I know there's actually an oil plug that you can connect or put in that's kind of magnetic, and it, it um, attracts those magnet or metal particles if it starts right. to fail. Yeah. And then it somehow puts a light on your dashboard. So don't yeah. listen to them when they say any car over 30,000 miles is good, because they're not. <laughs> but I love my Porsche. It's awesome. I mean, it's so much fun. And the starters go. You replace the starter. I did it myself. 
It's not so, that big of a deal. Honestly, they're pretty easy to work on up and probably up until the 991s, 992s, really. You know, I, I did a lot of the work on my Boxster myself. These yeah. guys know and our fans know how much I enjoy working on cars, really, when it comes down to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, the there's our truck, Derek, is like the opposite experience as well, for sure. Of a Yeah. That is not in a great way, but it is a different experience. <laughs> now, let's get the driving experience here. Um, tell us about the Mustang and tell us about um, um, the, the Porsche. It, do you have a favorite between the two? Do you, um, you know, I mean, there's, uh, yeah, they're so different. My wife will say it. She loves the, the roar of the 289 V8 and the Mustang, you know, cause I had flow, Flowmaster exhaust or, you know, you know, it's a four speed car actually had limited slip differential, which was kind of cool for a convertible. And that, that was, you know, that was basically a cruiser, you know, you're flooring it in the, you know, the minivans practically passing you by even, you know, it's all drama. It's not a lot of speed. You know, so um, I had someone telling me I was hot riding around town and I'm like, no, I, I was just driving it kind of hard. But when you look at they're not the fastest things in the world, even with the V8, uh, it's just it's just the experience of the top down and, you know, V8 rumble. And you're not taking any curves fast on that thing. Whereas the 911, you can just zip around all over the place, you know, so uh, they're both a lot of fun. I think everybody should have like three cars. You should have three different cars each one's a different experience different era different whatever and uh have a good time with it that's a good three that's not enough i say that's a good question i've always been in agreement with the three car theory and i've said it for for years and you know i always felt you need to have a jeep wrangler or something in that garage because then you're gonna do your off-roading and then you got to have some sort of sports car uh you know, Porsche, Ferrari, Corvette, something along those lines. And then you got to have some sort of sedan that to be a little bit practical, you know, to go out and, you know, you can go as crazy as three you know, is like, just a good start. Well, uh, exactly. And plus, why do you need a Jeep? A Model T can off road as good as a Jeep. Ooh. Oh, this like guy. You ever <laughs> had a Model T off road? It's amazing. That's what they were made for initially, right? There were no. Yeah. Cars. Three-point suspension. It'll do anything. Yeah, I, I thought of it before. I would have some type of modern 911. I would have a 65 Shelby GT350. And then something like a 53 Skylark or something like that. You know, I should go earlier or I should go like Gullwing. Or, but I'm talking like realistic price points. The, well, the 65 Shelby is not realistic. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so... I'm so, I'm a strong believer in one um one from every decade starting yeah. in the 1880s and moving up through the 19 eh, mid 70s. Anything after that's just meh, boring. I, I was actually in a collection the other day and it blew my mind because he had a like a curved dash like a 1903. He had brass era. He had big post-war Cadillac. He had a uh, new GTR, Acura NSX, Barris Custom. You know, I said, you have the most diverse collection. And I looked, I'm like, you have every decade except for 1980. I'm like, we got to get you a Grand National or yes, you know, 11 in the 80s. You know, that's a good car. You know. Dodge uh, Rampage. Wow. Dodge. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little Red Express. He had uh, one of those. That's 70s. Yeah, yeah that's 78, 77. But I, 
I will say Greg just talked me into getting an 80s car because I, I always, for, for some reason, I always forget about the Buick Grand Nationals and that amazing car. So I'd go up to the 80s. Okay, you well, got the, the You know, the 80, 81 Chevy Malibus, the little two doors and the wagons. Oh, yeah. Yep. Those are pretty cool cars. Mm-hmm. Hey, I got, you can't forget I got, about basically the square body pickup truck. I mean, yeah, those are up. Those are going strong right now. Oh, yeah. Honda CRX. Those are going strong too. <laughs> Those are going crazy numbers. I kicked myself for not for selling my my last one ten years ago and not buying another. Should have kept your first vehicle, like our daddies told us. My first one was a square body uh, K five Blazer, a two two wheel drive K five Blazer. I still got yeah. it. You still have it? Oh yeah. Wow, that's a serious ride. Mine was a '68 Mustang Coupe. Unfortunately, it was three-speed and six-cylinder with no options, and I don't want that car back. (laughs) (laughs) If he gave it to me, I paid $1,000 for it, and it didn't have an engine at the time. Yeah, I had a – my sisters and I in high school, we shared a a Chrysler Laser Turbo, which – Like an 86. And, uh, you know, that was a cool car at the time. You never see it now because they basically self-destructed. I'm a – I'm a big 80s front-wheel drive Chrysler fan. You know, I, I had the Rampage. I had the Omni 024. Um, I had the LeBaron. My parents had the 600 ES convertible, the LeBaron, con- the 87 LeBaron convertible. We had minivans literally from every year um, for almost 20 years, 30 years straight. I can't remember um, when my dad really quit buying those. You know, so I'm just a big you know, front wheel drive and, you know, I love the purple over grade, uh, you know, Dodge Daytona, Chrysler lasers. And then they had that 86 laser XT that then the ads was red with T tops. And what about the, uh, the Maserati Chrysler, the, the TC, yeah, <laughs> oh, the TC that I'll be honest. My dad had one ordered and ordered and ordered and it just never produced itself. And by the time it produced itself, he had his order in for his Viper and elected not to go with the Maserati. And, you know, we had the uh, 87 LeBaron, which everybody says is the same car. And they kind of sort of are, but they kind of sort of aren't. Um, If I had to go back and if I had a choice between a LeBaron or the Maserati, I'd do the Maserati. But they're not burning up and value so you can get one pretty cheap <laughs> I, I see them all the time between three and six or right. three and seven right you know that's that's one of the things i like to do and and i hinted to you in the beginning that we might end up doing a new segment and that's kind of it is your perfect car collection for and then we'll pick a number 30 40 or fifty thousand dollars because you can you know everybody thinks these you know when you had Farrah on his show, he was, what, $29 million in cars? Yeah, so let me tell you, the, the premise of that is is the <laughs> ultimate garage. So people that are car people, I keep them to 10 cars, which is pretty fascinating because, you know, I mean, I had I had uh, McKeel Haggerty on. He had, you know, he didn't pick an F40. He picked an F1, and he had a specific reason, but I don't remember why. Then I had Wayne Greeny on, and he picked the F40 and not the F1. And then Farah uh, picked both. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. You, you know, I'd both. probably be in Farah's boat if I did that. I would want one of each. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's funny. I have Ken Gross on next week, 
And, you know, he's the expert of experts when it comes to car folks. And not only was it like this kind of car, but it was this exact car that is currently in this exact museum or this guy's exact, you know, he got it down to like minutia. Mm-hmm. You know? he, he gave you VIN numbers, right? Right. And exactly. That was really fascinating because you can tell how astute he is. It was just mind blowing. Every single car of his was an exact car, which I need to take notes on it because it was. I need to go just see those ten cars before I die. That's where I, I'm, I'm. I'm like the total opposite. I don't want anything that anybody else has had. I want to build it my own way with my own hands and be totally different than everybody else. You know, that's yeah. just me, though. I love that idea, but I'm not that skilled. I really love that idea. My wife wants to do a rat rod, but she wants to do a craft rod, so it's like bedazzled and. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah, all girly and stuff, and I'd love I, to. I know, I know, I know some guys. I know some guys. If if you go through my Facebook feed from seven to ten years ago, and you look at the photos from then, I've got a ton of bedazzled cars, cars that have knitting things added to them, and all the you know knitted car covers and knitted wheel covers and mirror covers and. Because yeah. the the ex girlfriend was kind of big into you know how you could craft and glitter cars and uh, well you guys will probably shoot me especially well uh, we do have a 2014 Toyota FJ and that was her like dream car and I said we got to get it now for everyone to get it because we're not making them anymore but I let her girl it up you know so she's got like little decals and stuff on the dash and it's got the dazzled cover for the steering wheel the bedazzles and i i i drew the line at the uh, the pink camouflage seat covers i said there's no way i'm going to be seen driving that car well, with camo wait wait wait, wait. i need to know what i need to know what color the fj is on the outside it's white which isn't what we want oh, okay we like okay. it so yeah it's not is, pink greg as long as it's not yours man we're good <laughs> okay what was that statement about pink there um I I love pink cars. I have this. There has to be a perfect shade, but I'd love to have a Mary Kay car collection. Or that's a good collection if you could ever put that thing together. There's some pretty iconic cars in there. If you include the Playboy cars, yeah. See, and and there's one Mary Kay car that I want for work. We're going. I know we're going off on work here, but uh, there they actually Mary Kay did the Cadillac XLR. Yeah. They did a Mary Kay pink. And to me, that that belongs in the Corvette Museum, not only because of the XLR connection with Corvette, but also that kind of social, cultural aspect of Mary Kay and the Mary Kay pink cars. And I think it's like the ultimate XLR to have in the collection. So, so you mean to tell me you didn't get one for the exhibit y'all have going on right now? No, because the exhibit we have going on right now is non-GM vehicles. Uh, you've got an Impala in there. That that's to represent powered. the hot rod story. It's you said non-GM. The production cars are non-GM. <laughs> it's an Impala. Yeah. See the, the D- production Derek, cars, the cars that had multiples made. Derek you're, had just, you're just whining because of who built the car. <laughs> you didn't use my dart. Well, put a Corvette engine in the dart. Say <laughs> so Derek had to qualify his pink car with all this museum talk and all that. And I just flat say, I like pink cars. I don't need to 
you know, make oh, excuses yeah. why, why I want a pink car in my collection. The Hemi Cuda had a pink, I think a couple of rare pink colors, you know. Oh, yes. 57 Mustang Playboy pink. Well, I tried it, that had Panther pink. And yeah. Tim Wellborn's got the car I want, which is a uh, 70 Charger with sunroof, white vinyl top and everything. And it's in Panther pink and absolutely gorgeous. But, you know, that that's Wellborn. I mean, he's he's got something to die for. Um, he's got a nice collection, don't he? <laughs> yeah. You know, when I joined this podcast, I didn't realize we'd talk about pink cars all night. Nice. <laughs> that's how we nice. roll. Notice I haven't said a whole lot. <laughs> Get a pink pickup truck. <laughs> actually, so it the one of the guys that works at the museum with me is actually one of our preservation techs. He, uh, to surprise his wife for her 30th birthday, he built her a truck. She loves old trucks. Uh, it's a 50s Chevy and hot rotted. You know, I, I think it's got a, a small block in it uh, and but he painted it pink for her and it, it, I'll be honest, I've seen it. It is a gorgeous truck. I mean, he just, he nailed it the way he built it and the pink he chose. It is amazing. That's cool. Okay. You don't know. So Will, when are you going to build a pink hot rod? <laughs> now I did see a collection yesterday that had a, a really gorgeous Bentley. I don't know what year, but it won Pebble beach. I mean, this is like 20 years ago, it won Pebble beach and it was, it wasn't officially pink, but it looked very strong, like a metallic kind of pink look. So, you know, I, I need to look it up, see when it won. But it was years ago, and it's been sitting around for 20 years since then. So, It, it seems you can find just about one of every model of car in pink for some reason. I mean, yeah. you can go as hideous as Paris Hilton's old Bentley Continental GT or, you know, kind of as classy as the Panther pink of... Um, the Mopars of whatever the early seventies, late sixties. And, and I kind of wish they had a Panther pink on the new challenger. Not that that would get me to buy one, but. Okay. I don't know. If you, actually, I take it back. It's not really pink, but I don't know if you can see that. Uh, nope. Will's got a technique for doing that, but I don't get real, real close to the, to the, to the camera real close. Oh yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it's not focusing. Oh, there, kind there of, you go. Uh, yeah, it's kind know. of a, a creamy tone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out if I would be seen in it. I probably would. But it's a Bentley. I would. Yeah. It's a Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if I could ever build a pink car. I mean, I guess if it was the right thing with the right customer then yeah, I, I could probably do one pink, but everything let's, would just... Let's just, cut through the crap. For a big enough check is what Will's saying. He will build a pink hot rod. If if my daughter wanted a pink stripe on her car or something like that, then yeah, I would do that. But my daughters don't like pink either, so I'm I'm pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. We, we are doing an accent color on a Cadillac that's kind of a rosy gold. It's kind of got a little bit, little bit of a little bit of a pink hue to it, but it, it is for a lady. Um, yeah. I, I've been wanting to use that color for a while and it worked perfect with this Cadillac. The Cadillac is red. And so like the engine and the accent on the wheels and stuff like that is kind of a rosy gold kind of color. And it works really well. Oh, Y'all have to wait till SEMA to see it though. I've always said that um, 
leave it to Apple to make pink cool for guys because, you know, <laughs> they came up with this term rose gold and all of a sudden it's everywhere. I, you know, see rose This is a girl's gold. car. <laughs> rose girl's gold car. computers it's going out all car. the time. <laughs> now, like, I, would, I would probably wear a rose gold Rolex if someone gave me one. No, yeah. I, I, for the uh, six hours I owned an Apple iWatch and I realized I had no need for an Apple iWatch because I, I like real watches, um, which you're giving away one on your your podcast, which we'll talk about. Um, it's, Look at that segue. It, it was ro- ro- rose gold. But yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about your podcast. I want to know a little bit more. I mean, I, I've only got eight or 10 episodes wedged in because somebody asked me today, I, and I listen to 23 different podcasts per week. So it's hard, hard to get in one in my yeah, huh? I appreciate you listening eight to twelve. But yeah, I am giving away a Porsche watch. Oh, dang! Pretty cool. And if it goes well, I'm going to give away a, a Martini Porsche watch with the racing stripes on it. Well, so. we're going to end this podcast yeah. now because we have us having you on the podcast probably disqualifies me from the watch. Yeah, no. everybody that <laughs> listens to us. Is going to listen to Greg now. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We just lost all our viewers. Well, so wait, our, our former, wait, our former guests of your show able to win that watch? Anyone <laughs> except my family members can win that watch. Yes. All, all five that are on Facebook right now just went to Greg's. <laughs> now you made me forget what I was going to say about that watch and everything. Thanks, Will. <laughs> Well, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, we're all trying to get people engaged and, you know, I think you guys do a great job engaging by, you know, talking about cool stuff and having some cool guests and your conversations are obviously very cool and fun and go in different directions. So my podcast is kind of that, but I talk about market trends and I like to interview some experts and then I kind of do goofy stuff. If you listen way back, I actually... What's that? What did I tell you? Look, somebody's done posted on our Facebook. How do I enter? (laughs) (laughs) thank you amanda how do i enter watch us come on now (laughs) go to my instagram um go to to greg's uh, there you go go to greg's instagram there you go well go to his website and that tells you yeah Um, and we could tell you the answer because i know (laughs) you know hey 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 (laughs) but uh i do goofy stuff like i don't know if you went far enough back i actually did the math to figure out what car is worth its weight in gold. Like, who else is doing that, right? That was a lot of math. Um, so I'm not going to tell you the answer. You can probably wow. get it. Um, I had a buddy sing the 12 days of a car Christmas for Christmas. So I, I try to do goofy stuff as long as, as well as, you know, review a bunch of the market trends, do some auction results. You know, I, I like to figure out what is trending up or down in the marketplace. I like to say not for investment purposes, but so you know what car to buy now while you can still afford it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what mm-hmm. car can you buy that costs a thousand dollars an ounce? Uh so gold is more than that. I guess I know, but I was I was giving you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you if you want. There's two cars it could potentially be. One of them's discontin- one of them is eliminated because of weight. So if you guys could guess, let's do another trivia quiz here. What car would you guess is worth its actual weight in gold? There's only one car. And that's ounce for ounce, right? Ounce for ounce. So it, it's worth whatever, $1,200, $1,800. I don't even know where gold is right now. Everybody's crypto. Yeah. So the car weighed 
3,000 pounds is what 3,000 pounds of gold would be worth. Man, Derek's really got his thinking headphones on. I have I've no got, idea. I've, I've got go a couple guesses. Let me gonna, can I, I think I think I've got it to like two guesses. I, I've it's, got a question. I've got a question. Does it actually have gold in the it. car? Well, so, Will, it's not a pickup truck. No, I figured that. It's it's going to be some kind of vintage race car with history. Does it have gold in the car? Actual gold? No, Does it no, use it it's in its construction. Not a McLaren F1. No. Okay. Derek, I assume it's not. Well, the, what's coming? So, although I think you're nodding to Will's uh, Will's question, just disqualified mine. But the only thing that could come to mind for me would be um, uh, Bugatti Royale. That's the one that gets eliminated because of weight. Weight, okay. Because those things are like uh, seven thousand pounds. Uh, yes. My guess, my guess would be a uh, two hundred and fifty GTO. But we have a winner. You don't want to watch. That's, that was my other one. Was the Ferrari <laughs> Ferrari two hundred and fifty? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, and what what valuation are we putting on the Ferrari for that week? <laughs> about seventy eight million. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the, the one up in Chicago apparently was bought for about $70 million. It wasn't one of the best ones in the world. It's a very nice one. So if you got one of the best ones in the world, you got to figure it's probably around $80 million for one of those suckers. So, wait, who got that? John, you John. want a thumbs up? <laughs> How many of those were made? 33. And then thir- three Series 2 cars with the 4-liter engine. And so 48 th- of them still exist. Right. Actually, actually, I saw a replica like two weeks ago. The same guy that had the uh, the GTR and the brass car and the curved dash. He had a, a replica in a bubble, wrapped in a bubble. How, how many are still there? All of them? Great question. I don't know, but I think, if not all of them, very close to all of them. I think I, all I, of them because they, they, they had them all at Pebble Beach, what, 10 years ago, eight years ago? Ooh. Yeah. Boy, wouldn't you hate to have an earthquake and a hole open up there? (laughs) (laughs) They were all lined up along the shoreline. It was a billion dollars worth of cars. So John won, but Derek got the second, the one that was second, kind of second place. That is those were my yeah, those were my two guesses when I said I had two Bugatti Royale and and the Ferrari 250. But well, you had to go with the most expensive cars on the planet, and I think I do think. Within the next few years, a McLaren F1 might become a contender. But here's my question: It's lightweight. To, to, and me, to me, a thirty a thirty five Ford three window coupe is worth as much as a Ferrari GTO because the the GTO Ferrari, I mean, I would have no use for it. I would not enjoy it. I would not do nothing with it. Give me a thirty five Ford three window coupe. We're ready to go. So. I know Derek wants to say something, but you remind me of a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. So Calvin <laughs> and Hobbes, they said, uh, let's make a wish. And Calvin wished for to be all powerful rule of the world or something insane. Hobbes wished, wished for a sandwich. And then later on, Hobbes has his sandwich and Calvin doesn't. And he's like, well, who had the better wish, right? <laughs> there you <laughs> well, go. Yours is realistic and attainable and achievable and enjoyable. Right. So I'm all for that. So my question goes back to the gold. Did you disqualify or did you actually look at and, and how would the gold plated DeLoreans fit into that? Because 
would the right. would the value of the gold plate of the DeLorean itself count into the value? I did not. So it would have been market value, and there's no way those things are more than what maybe 150 grand, something like that. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't even, I even know the last time one sold figures. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> well, there's what, only three. There's of only them? two of. I thought there was only two. I thought I, they thought they were. They said they were going to do three, but I thought they only ever pulled off doing two. But I could be wrong. I don't doubt it. Yeah, I'm not a DeLorean expert. I, say, I got my Barry Willis book here. I can look it up. <laughs> I am trying to find a DeLorean, though. Um, I'm sorry. Well, oh, remember, that's easy. What, what, one are you, what are you looking for it for? So uh, remember the Leonard Nimoy TV show in Search of back in the early 80s? Anybody? <laughs> am I too old? Oh, nice. Oh, Lord. <laughs> So I thought it would be fun to, I did an episode of million dollar cars that are MIA. So I did all the cars that are worth over a million dollars that are missing in action. So like the convertible Ferrari at the end of the Pink Panther movie, the real convertible Ferrari, that thing's, nobody knows where that thing is. Well, honorable mentions included uh, one of the Back to the Future uh, DeLoreans that was at Planet Hollywood in Hawaii and when they went out of business and liquidated, nobody w- knows where that car went to. And that wow. car was about $250,000, $300,000. So it, it didn't make the top list. It was an honorable mention. But, you know, I thought that'd be kind of fun to find. And I did a bunch of searching and I never found it. So so uh, I, I'm really interested in what you just talked about, the the, the million-dollar cars that can't be, you know, can't missing. Be found. Yeah. So is, is that one of your podcasts? You really should listen. Yes. I, I, no, I want to. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, it's from last year. And there's, you know, there's a, a James Bond DB5 that's that was stolen from an airport in Miami. Mm-hmm. And we have one of the real ones here in Cincinnati that was bought for $5.5 million. And that one's supposedly like in Saudi Arabia in the royal family's garage, supposedly. Um, there's some really cool cars that are missing. Jim Morrison's, you know, 67 GT500 Shelby. I think that People know where that one is, um, but it's pretty fascinating. There's a lot of cool stuff out there that's still missing. The uh, and I'll just throw one at you, Greg, that I'm looking for, and we can put it out on the podcast. But the the Corvette that was given to oh my god, I keep blanking on names. If you say uh, Rose, I know where it is. The what? If you say Pete Rose, I know where that is. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, the the Corvette that was given to um, ah, why can't the astronaut? Oh my. Yeah, the first astronaut in space. Oh, okay. American, the first American. Why am I blanking on his name? Neil right Armstrong? Now? No, oh, he first, was on the moon. No, uh, no uh, was that Glenn? Nope, Glenn was the first one to circ- uh, go orbit. Buzz? Um, nope. Um, Buzz Lightyear. You're not helping. Anyway, <laughs> the first Corvette given to the astronaut. Uh, I'm making a fool of myself right now because I can't remember his name. And we are live. Well, our our education has failed us in this. Shepard. Yeah. So is Alan Shepard. Alan Shepard. Alan Shepard. Golden uh, black Corvette. No, no, no. It's a white, uh, white 1962. And they actually, they took it really? to styling studio and actually updated. They did some work to the interior. And this is what will give it away. A NASA chronograph the ones identical to the ones that he flew with uh was embedded into the center console 
and there were nice. some other features that were added to the interior and that car is no one knows where it is my fear is that we don't know the vin number of it my fear is that it was found at some point and restored back to a stock oh, yeah. interior because somebody didn't know why it had been modified so it's the 62 white yeah what color interior uh black were they black and white photos <laughs> No, actually, they were color. They were the ones taken at. No, the ones taken at the design okay. were colored photos. Yep. Just want to make sure. Okay. Yep. There is the uh, 1984 Corvette that Pete Rose won for breaking the record. Um, it's here in Cincinnati at a sports memorabilia in its lobby with like 450 miles on it, unrestored original, which it's an '84 Corvette. So yeah, I don't, yeah. you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew the car was in existence. I don't think I knew it was in Cincinnati, um, but I knew it was around. Um, so that's that's kind of cool. I'm glad it's up in Cincinnati. That's close if we ever want to borrow it. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure they'd be open to it. <laughs> oh, Lord. Really? You got to bring a dog onto this? Hey, he wanted up here. <laughs> All right, you got to go. No, that's I. I think that's I, I. I'm gonna go back and listen because I find that fascinating. Because there are so many cars that are now. So that John, I believe that's the one that they used in the Grand Tour to represent the car. Is that right? Yes, that's as close yeah. as I can come in a quick Google search. Yeah, that's the one that they actually used in in the Grand Tour episode where they talked about the astronaut Corvettes to represent the first one given to an astronaut uh but we're still hoping to find the original i wish i could tell you more of the cars that are missing that are worth every million dollars i'm just totally drawing a blank well i was gonna say you really need to put a search on your uh podcast page i do i <laughs> i need so much help so uh, I'm working on it, though. I'm working. I've, on it. I've got a long, I've got a long drive next Wednesday, and that is on my list to listen to. So don't I'll say no more. <laughs> I'll either talk to you via email or after the podcast, and I'll tell you uh, a, a really good service for website hosting for podcasts. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. <laughs> Just so you know, it's a one man show. I do everything. My, I'm not a web guy, so Th then you want this service? <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, yeah, that, that guy right up there in that corner. I don't know how to do this. Anyway, um, the guy over there. Anyway, John is a one-man show. Not anyway. me. Even Not here. Me. Yeah, because <laughs> these no. two these two are just, just no. here to talk. That one does I'm, all the work. I'm lucky to make an Instagram post. Uh, <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> we, we, we might have more than six Facebook or six viewers if... <laughs> You know what I want to do is, like I said, one of my things, I do it once a month. It's the ultimate garage. I shoehorn people to 10 cars. I want to have the three of you on at the same time, and you have to come up with 10 cars that all three of you agree on. Ain't a Ooh. chance. Ooh. 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 That would that be cars a great the podcast. 10 cars that the three of us agree upon or yeah. 10 cars whoa, whoa, that the no whoa. driving glove staff agrees upon. No, like maybe each of you could agree. And then, uh, you know, the three of you have to agree on the 10th. I don't know. It'd be a fun little episode. Well, what, what episode did we do? It was way back, way back when. And 
I actually chose something that Will should have because I went totally against the grain. I can't remember what that was. What was that? I do remember that. Yeah, and I picked something that was confusing to everybody, too. I don't know. <laughs> oh, we had to pick a car that was under a certain price and between certain year models or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, it was it was a price thing. Find three cars under five grand or something. Mm-hmm. You know, just to show you the depth of what I try to do for my audience, uh, I do a market trend. So I did a market trend on Fox Body Mustangs. And basically, I looked at all the, you know, one, three, five-year trends. But what I decided to do is Dennis Collins had sold his Fox Bodies at an auction, and they achieved record prices, right, for Fox Bodies. I mean, it made, like, national news. And I, I don't know if his family's from the dealership world or what, but a lot of them were just mothballed from new. And so I took, you know, what's the sticker on an 83 Mustang GT? And if you had taken that, whatever, $10,000 and put it in a Mustang GT, here's what it sold for. Or you put that $10,000 in the stock market. And so I did that for all the cars that he sold, probably about 13 cars. And so of all the cars, not counting storage or insurance, how many of the cars that were record prices for Fox Body Mustangs, how many of the, let's say 17 cars, how many of the cars uh, exceeded as if you had put your money in the stock market? Zero. I'm going to go with uh, five. I don't know what the cars were, but it, it's probably a really... So if I had like, say, an 87 Fox Body and I bought it in 87 and I know they weren't stock and I sold it in 2014, if I would have put the same money in 87 yeah. into... Yep. I might say two without knowing the exact cars that were in it. All right, y'all are really close. So if I factored in insurance and storage, which I didn't, well, you would be correct. Uh, there was only one. It was the ah, it was the seven up uh, commemorative edition, dark green, emerald green convertible with white interior, and it sold for eighty two thousand three hundred dollars. And if you had put that money in the bank or in the stock market, it would have been eighty two thousand like. $100. It was like $100 off. <laughs> so now did this seven up edition Mustang just happen to sell at say two o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday? <laughs> it might have. They probably <laughs> before looking it up. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. That that's I say that's stupid money for a seven up edition. I don't even know if bring a trailer well, could bring that. One <laughs> one one at Barrett Jackson brought over a hundred like last year or year before. It was a, a super spot. Yep. Must have been like zero miles or something. Like yeah, that. yeah, it was crazy low miles, and yeah, it brought it brought stupid money. Yeah, I, I remember shaking my head, going, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> but but here's the thing: there's so many of those that come across the block nowadays that just confuse. I know at least me, I, and I know probably Will and John, but it's just baffling when some of these cars go for that much money. You're right. Some of them you can see why, and you can see some of the trends in the marketplace where you're like, oh, that makes sense. But then others defy logic. I mean, at, I think it was Scottsdale. We had a, a one-off, like, I don't know, 89 Mercedes wagon that had a, had a I don't even know, 6.3 transplant, you know, one-off. And we had the estimate of like 30 grand. 
and two guys had to have it. It sold for a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, it was a it was a '93 Cobra R coupe that. Oh, those are rare. Yeah, brought one hundred and thirty-two thousand. Well, they yeah, that, that, that's a that's a different story. It's yeah. still it's still a Fox Body Mustang. <laughs> it period. is. What no is, what what one has five hundred? What's underneath it? What engine? What transmission? Still a Fox Body Mustang that brought one hundred thirty-two. They only made like a hundred, one hundred seven, or something. Yeah, like I was that. say it's a real low production number, and it's the only now that yeah we ninety three, so it's Fox Body, so it was also the only independent suspension. That one had the independent. Yeah. It had, didn't have an independent rear suspension in the that one, or was that the neck? Was that I the SN ninety five? I think that was a different one. Oh, the ninety five had the uh, three fifty one in it. Yeah. That white one. It had this thing had two hundred and thirty five horsepower. Woo, boy, that's a neck breaker, and five hundred miles on it. Yeah, that you know, is, you know what the the coolest Fox Buddy Mustang I remember from being a kid, Saline. Now, I grew up here. I'll give you a hint. I grew up in Michigan. That's the R model. Um, yeah. That's the one that brought 132,000. Was it a uh, ice iced tea? No, the Michigan, <laughs> the Michigan State Police actually had them for chase vehicles. Oh, yeah. We had them in Florida, too. Yep. Yeah. They were Michigan State blue with a, the big red gumball uh, on top. Yeah. Georgia the, uh, the big badge on the side. Georgia State like, Troopers right? had had Fox Body Mustangs as well. And the Mustang Museum of America just down the road here has a whole collection of uh, various Mustang police cars over the years. And I do think they have a Michigan one for sh and a Georgia one for sure. But I think they're SSP, uh, Special Order. Yeah. yeah. I actually went to one of their liquidation lots at the police station to try to get my first Mustang. And uh, they were just so ragged out, we walked away. They're like 3500 bucks. Back in the day, dang, that, that was before uh, you know when we were talking CRXs earlier. I mean, you could have bought a CRX for fifteen hundred, twelve hundred dollars. <laughs> we'll try to find one that's halfway decent. <laughs> yeah, remind well, me though, John. Didn't you just have a chance to get one for free? Well, that that's uh, was a basket case project, but I uh, I paid. $2,600 for my last one, and I bought it in 2005, and it was a 89 SI, rust-free, everything. I mean, it was a nice car, all stock. Um, so, you know, that would be, that would probably be a $12,000 car today. If I'm not mistaken, you had one when we were in college together, right? Yeah, I had the red 89 SI that had the... Uh, ZC dual overhead cam swap and the iBox springs and that was a modified one. Right. That's the one that um, I ran over the deer in. <laughs> you survived? <laughs> was it a baby deer? Was it well, little no, the, the deer was dead in the road. <laughs> oh. And it, I went airborne. I, I have this tendency to maybe tailgate and the car in front of me dodged it and yeah, at 60 some miles an hour I flew over it and there, there were there were two good looking hondas in mcpherson when we and were mine wasn't one <laughs> no 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 you're I, I remember looking at yours and thinking that's pretty cool for a crx and then chris phillips had a civic that was lowered and had like 17 or 18 inch wheels on it and 
you know, he had he had, had some, you know, work done to the engine and stuff, and it, it was pretty cool, too. So yeah, I think I had the, did I have those 17 TSWs at that time? I know I didn't have it on when I hit the deer, otherwise it would have just completely <laughs> totaled the car, but. So my first car was a 68 Mustang Coupe I mentioned earlier, and it had, had deer whistles on it. <clears throat> oh, I remember those. The problem was it had a dent in the front from where it hit the deer. So I'm like, were the whistles before or were the whistles after? I couldn't I would be- figure it out. I would bet they put them on after the fact. <laughs> we we had a we had a SHO a Taurus SHO that had deer whistles on it, and it still hit a deer. Okay, so there you go. There you go. No, they were just had- they were just there to look cool. That's all. Yeah. It actually did dress it up a little bit. <laughs> I've had three. You got the chrome ones. That's right. Oh yeah, These JC Whitney special. Yeah, yeah. No, so don't go to get a stick going down that again. <laughs> I've had three deer incidents, and one was the dead one. One it broadsided my S10, and it ran into me for a change. It was a little bit different. And the other one that we won't discuss because it's probably um, too disgusting. But again, it hit me as opposed to me hitting it. So You're a deer magnet. <laughs> oh, somebody in the comments, I'm sorry I didn't have my comment window up, did say Alan Shepard probably before I did. So Yeah, it was another guy we went to went to school with. Oh. There you Jersey, go. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember names to save my life. Heck, I forget. Neither can I. Here. I almost forgot Derek's name when I was introducing yeah. him. So. What can I yep. see? Just, just call me. Just call me whatever you want. I don't care. You know, Will and John, as you go back in my podcast episodes, be sure to check out the special guest I had on, Mr. Derek Moore. Oh, good lord! You were hurting for guests, wasn't you? It was an honor. <laughs> well, no, he see he he didn't have he didn't have like Derek the the you know no driving gloves guy he had he had the Corvette you know curator and director of collections on so it was all about Corvette and he uh, he forced me to pick it was, the the top let's see it was the the I had to pick the top yeah, ten Corvettes yeah, in history right. but then I had to pick the worst one was he out of nowhere asked me to pick between three Corvettes which one I would crush. Keep cash. Oh, I, I love that section of your your your. Um, now to show. be fair, you get to keep one and you get to cash one in. You you do unfortunately have to crush one. Do you remember which one you crushed? See, it wasn't that painful. It should have mm. forever. I I don't remember which one I chose. That's bad. Probably a, probably a sixty-three split window. If I know you. Yeah, Thank probably. <laughs> Fuely. No, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure I remember. I kept the eighty-three. Because yeah. you had that on there, and of course that's just too significant. Um, I think I cashed in. Was it maybe the Falconer ZR12 concept? Oh, right. The didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. Did I, snake, did I throw on the Snake Skinner too? Do you remember? I think Snake Skinner was possibly the one I chose to crush because there were two of them built. Okay. One yeah. was a show car. One was the real car. I think that might have been what it came down to. That's a very touchy question to be asking the curator of the National Corvette Museum on which one he crushed. <laughs> it was. It, it was. <laughs> I think. I think we even did a, a disclaimer. Especially, <laughs> especially when there's several of them that's already been crushed, and you can just pick one of them and. 
been good. Well, you know, if people can't make the decision, I just say, all right, how about, what comes in third? And then when they tell me, I'm like, all right, that's when you're going to crush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, I do have a question for you, Derek. What is your take on the Restomod Corvette 63 specifically trend? Pro, against, thoughts? So what were we talking about? No, <laughs> um, no I... So here's where I stand on on anything hot rod, resto mod, uh, stuff like that. I'm all for it, and you know I think to it's it's part of the hobby. It is you know it's it's kind of like Will. You know you build something that you you love, but hopefully you're doing with it doing it with something that truly yeah. isn't savable. Uh, yeah. You know the you know something's wrong with the, you know, the frames rotted out. So you're going to put an art Morrison chassis under it, or, you know, it, there's just something really, really wrong with it that, you know, it's going to take way too much to get it back to an original car. Then go ahead and resto mod it, hot rod it, whatever. But, you know, if, if it's a car that's savable and, and re can return back to original my take on it as as kind of a purist is to take it back to original but we have we've had some resto mods on exhibit lately i've i've opened up the doors to bringing in uh, resto mods we have a what i call a mini exhibit in the sky dome called corvette reimagined and we have an an early c1 resto mod and right now the other car in there is one of the sam aero cars the uh, semi autonomous corvettes that sam schmidt drives and we have those two next to each other, kind of telling the story about why people modify Corvettes and, and turn them into something other than the stock Corvette that's built at the plant across the street. And it varies from someone's interest and passion in having an old Corvette that has modern features yep. and somebody like Sam Schmidt that needs to modify it to be able to drive it. Sure. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't have an issue with it. Just try to do it with a car that truly is not in any way savable. So, so I got a question. Well, I got a question here. Can you have a car that is restored and modified in the same, in the same car? Can it be restored and modified? I think so. I, for I think example, so. my old Mustang, if I kept it, I would have put on front disc brakes. Like I think, but that's modified. It's not restored. So you either got restored or modified. There's no well, such thing. There's no such damn thing as a resto mod. It's either restored or it's modified. Okay, you can modify it in a way that you can unbolt some stuff and put it back to being restored. But it's either modified or restored. There's no such thing as a resto mod. Barrett Jackson has totally screwed everything up. There's no in-between. It's either original or it's not original. So it's restored or modified. There's no such thing as a resto mod. That I, I actually, drives me insane. I like your No, argument. no, no. I, I like this argument. And, and it's interesting because John and I, over the last couple episodes that Will hasn't been able to be on, we've been talking about words or trends that bother us in the hobby. And, and one of those things is these words that have been made up 
to increase values or muddy the waters of the hobby. And I have to agree, Will. I, resto mod is a, a strange word. It's and stupid. you're right. You're right. It's either restored or modified, or maybe you know you might want to say it's a restored car with modifications. And, and and what I'm clarifying there is I know a lot of guys that restore Model T's, Model A's, Chevy you know, 490s like I have, things like that. And they'll do that. They'll add, especially on cars that only had rear brakes, they'll add some type of front braking system. And that's out of a, a safety you know, feature just to make sure, especially if they're doing right. long touring with it. But it's, it's safe. Right. It, well, it's restored to to an original, all of its original factory appearance, other than its safety modifications. To modification. you know, so yes, there's you said right. the word, you said the word, but the a, the right. AC, AACA, or I'm can't, now all of a sudden I forgot my acronym. The Antique Automobile Club of America allows even in their judging for safety modifications. That's probably more of a a legal thing on their side, which, which I do I, believe I, I'm going to, I'm going to go against, let's see here, three commenters, Will and Derek. And I'm going to say, you can have a modified restored car. You can't have a modified original restored car. There's always that you can restore a car that's making, you know, making new again, but there's nothing to say that you can't, modify it you're doing preservation work i mean there's it's playing with the terms but the word resto means put back original restored you're I, putting it back the way it came all right i understand modifying a car for safety issues to bring it up to today's standards so you can you know enjoy your car and drive it but at that point in time it is modified you just tell people, hey, it's rest I restored the car, but to bring it up to modern times, it has been modified here and modified there. It's it's like black and white. Black is black, white is white. You mix the two together, it's gray. Okay. You can't have restored and modified in the same damn car. So why don't we why don't we take this and talk about pro touring? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we can kind of go of course, I typed into the you know, good old University of Google here, restoration definition. I tell you what, one thing I want to see in about actually any moment now, I want to see the $300,000 C2 split window Corvettes that were resto, resto modded by Premier Builders that sold for three hundred grand 10 years ago. I want to see those resale values. Like, are those going to be like that Singer Porsche that sold for eight hundred fifty grand? No. Or or are they going to be $100,000 steals? Right. They there got miles on them, and they're awesome. They got, our, you know, all the Morrison chassis. They got the LS3 engine. I'm curious to see what happens to those, because there's guys cranking out a ton of these cars for three hundred grand. What happens? Will they be collectible? I think they'll I think no. they'll go down a third of the price for a while. I, I Greg, I, I completely agree with you. I completely yeah. I love to have one. The restored... <laughs> The restored cars that are put back original eventually will come back and be bringing more money than the hot rods that are being built. You can't tell me that a 63 Corvette with an LS engine and 
an Art Marson chassis, 18 and 20 inch wheels, big ass brakes with a completely custom interior is a resto mod. No, it is a full fledged hot rod. Hot yeah, rod. I agree. Yeah. I know I know a guy personally that builds one a year, takes it to Barrett Jackson and makes a killer. We got a guy here that does four a year. It's this whole model. Yeah. That's that's all he does. And he does outstanding work. And to to your point, Derek, they're all uh like I was in there once and I'm like, he had seven sixty-three split windows, all in primer, and one was being restored to NCRS quality because it was a quality car. All the others were just horrible. Nobody would have saved him, but he's doing he's doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it keeps them on the road, you know, and like I said, if if they're just roached out cars that there's no salvaging, at least get them back on the road somehow. Yeah. yeah. You know, get it, get a new chassis under there, get, uh, you know, an LS swap in it, whatever you want to do and and have fun with it because it is part of the part of the hobby and it's it's part of the fun, too. Yeah, agreed. And, and Derek, believe it or not, I do agree with you. If you've got. If you've got a valuable car that was worth something and was rare originally, you need to put that car back original. If you want to build a hot rod, let's go find a VIN number. That's all you need. Let's go find a VIN number. Let's make it the way you want it. Let's build it custom and then go with it that way. Agreed. So what are the market trends on uh, hot rods right now, Greg? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> specifically specifically no wait let's let's figure this out because we were talking about hot rods that are built say 10 years ago and how they're going to do in the market maybe in another 10 years so that's 20 years so let's talk about like the the hot market trend of hot rods built in say the 80s and 90s right now because, <laughs> exactly just <laughs> bleh. Now, I just, now i will say I, and I, I'm going out on, out on a limb here. Um, Greg can correct me if I'm wrong. But there are some that were built in those days that are the iconic ones, the Riddler winners, the ones that Boyd Coddington built, the one that Sam Foose had his hands in, stuff like that. Some the ZZ of the, Top Car. The Z, yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. The Cadzilla, you know, those type of cars. Oh. Those cars are going to bring big money. Now, the the regular thirty two Ford Roadster that was built in nineteen you know eighty five, it ain't bringing nothing. You know you're so right, but like the I think it was a Cadzilla. There was an article about that car. Like it was like three million dollars in cost to build it, and it sold for three hundred thousand dollars. So the initial hit is just outrageously painful. Yeah, that right? that was the Thundertaker. That oh, wasn't that, that, that was wasn't Cadzilla. Anyway, so Brian Fuller built. You're right about that. I'll give you an example. I was with a client the other day, and he has a 32 Harrison-bodied Ford. It's got a flathead with real Arden heads on it. So just the heads alone are like, you know, $60,000. And it had uh, 50s magnesium, original magnesium Halibran wheels on it. Hmm. And I tried to do do, do a private sale on it, shopped it around a little bit. And two times the comment I got was, if it was any color but red and it was just, you know, it was done 12 years ago, 15 years ago. And it was red with red and white striped seats. Nobody wants that right now. You know, they want the, you know, they want the black, they want the dark colors. They want the muted colors. They don't want the chrome. 
you know, so to your point, you know, they're, they're flat unless they're, they're up to date with uh, today's trends, you know, iconic cars though, you know, they're great cars. So now taking that into account, and of course, historic significance plays into the sale of any car. Yeah. What is the market trend of the original hot rods that were built in the 50s and 60s that are not historically significant? Because there's historically significant ones out there that are. Unfortunately, it's really soft right now. You just think about anything 30s, 40s, 50s into the early 60s with a few outliers. Um, it is, it's just soft. Anyone who wanted a 57 Chevy is selling or a 57 T-Bird is selling their 57 T-Bird right now, you know, cause they're probably in their late seventies, you know? And so there's just a glut of those cars out there. Um, a couple of the outliers in my argument is now's the time to buy that 53 Skylark, that 57 T-Bird, you know? Um, but some of the outlier, we've seen some Cadillacs, Midfit, the Eldorado, the Brits, the Brome, you know, some of the rare ones do tremendously well at auction. Like they're the, the pinnacle cars of that. Era. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking about production cars. I'm talking about hot rods, like your, your original, yeah. you know, 50s, 60s era, you know, guy took a, a 32 Ford deuce and, yeah. you know, they're hot awesome. rodded or roadster and did a high boy, you know, where's the market trend on that? Cause some of those cars, at least that I've seen, they're still holding a pretty good value. I mean, not extremely high, but. Yeah, they're not increasing. You know, there are some that you'll see it still trade well. It depends on who the builder was. It depends on the spec. It depends on, like, does it have, you know, what's the engine? It, you know, if it's something special, it will definitely hold its value. When I was researching the uh, the 32 with the Arden heads, I mean, at RM Sotheby's, there was a lot of those cars we had sold over, you know, six digits, you know, well into $100,000, $200,000. But they were the ones that were built by a known builder, you know, quality, you know, that was was special, you know? So yeah, they're, they're soft. I mean, anything from the thirties and forties right now is pretty soft. Woody's are extremely soft right now. Um, they were hot as they could be 15 years ago, you know? So you raise your eyebrow. Do you have a Woody? <laughs> no, no, no. It was just, I guess, I guess I, I should uh, use the, uh, the, <laughs> you know, the uh, phrasing, <laughs> phrasing Lana. <laughs> Sorry. To me, to me, the problem with the 30s and, and early 40s cars are, you know, the guys that grew up wanting those cars, unfortunately, were losing. You know, one, yes. one of my one of my good buddies, Ronald Griffith, that, you know, lived right down the road. I mean, the newest thing in, in his collection was a 40 Ford Coupe. And unfortunately, we lost we lost Ronald, you know, a couple of years ago. And um you know, those guys, unfortunately, are, are, are leaving us, and it, it sucks bad. I, I have one street rod in the shop, one 48 and older car in my shop right now. And, you know, it kind of hurts my heart a little bit because that's, that's what I grew up around is street rods, 48 yeah. and older cars. And, you know, I, I thought for the rest of my life that – 48 and older cars would be the hottest things out. And so wait, wait, I, I got to stop. I, it sounds like you're defining a street rod as a customized car pre 48. Right. Mm. Right. That's what a street rod is. 48 and older modified is a street rod. Mm, I don't agree with that because the original hot rod clubs were all the guys coming back from war, building their high boy deuce coupes and, 
those were all classified as hot rods. Hot rods, hot rods, you know, a hot rod can be anything. Street rod kind of got that terminology from the National Street Rod Association. Uh, 48 and older was their thing. Oh, so that's the National Street Rod definition. NSRA, yeah. The NSRA. Honestly, I I did not know that that was their definition. Right. I, I, I think of a hot rod as anything that's modified. You know, to me, a street rod is 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 48 and older. You know, a 61 Impala can be a hot rod where, you know, a street rod is a 48 and older modified car. All right. So I, I need to do a trivia here again, if you guys don't mind. Uh, I'm trying to vindicate myself. I got beat up on one of my episodes a while ago. All right. So is a 1965. No, let me start. Let me start this the other way. A 1968 and a half. 428 Cobra Jet Mustang Fastback Lightweight. Is that a pony car or is that a muscle car? My feeling is all Mustangs are pony cars. I agree with John. All all Mustangs are pony cars. Well, hmm. Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> but if you... I, I agree. All Mustangs are pony cars. All right, I'm not being vindicated here. I called it a muscle car. Ooh. All right. Jeffrey, Jeffrey in the comments called Sorry, it Greg. a pony car, too. I look okay, at a pony car as the size of the now, vehicle. Now, a pony yeah. car can be a muscle car. No. That's no. Like, no. I, I don't believe that. A muscle car. A pony car, a pony well, car, what, what and a that, muscle what? car, and a sports car are three distinctively different things. Are, what's the difference between a muscle car and a pony car? A muscle, a muscle car is a two-door, full-size family car that has had a higher performance engine put in it. Think of it as the Pontiac Le Mans turned into the Pontiac GTO. They put so, a bigger engine with higher performance in it, but it's a family-sized car. So a what's pony a car? A pony car, because a pony car is a car built specifically with a smaller back seat for the two passengers in the rear, not a full back seat but a smaller backseat, a la Mustang, Firebird, and Camaro, that's your pony car classification. A sports car has two seats and two seats alone. That's it. So if you wrote a book about I, muscle cars, would you include a big block Mustang, Shelby, Corvette? If you're writing a book about 60s muscle cars, would you include a Corvette, Camaro, Yanko, Copo? I wouldn't if it was me because I they're wouldn't. not... All right, I'm going to go to the bookstore and pull out all the muscle car books to see if there is a pony car and a sports car in there. Because oh, there probably are. I guarantee yeah. you there are. You know how many? There, there are so many books I put down four pages in because I'm just like, yeah, that's that's. <laughs> yeah, <junk."> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. So, Derek and I did an episode two or three ago that basically we talked and we alluded to it earlier in this episode how terminologies, you know, four door sports coupe. You know, you can't have a four-door coupe. And how Rest these terms, you know, these terms of, you know, a Miata is not a roadster. I don't care what you think. It's not a roadster. It has roll-up windows and door handles. These terms get manufactured and re- redefined by the marketers. And there's nothing the diehard car people can do about it. And that's what's happened. You know, people think Mustangs are muscle cars. But to me... Um, a pony car is a little bit smaller than the high high horsepower 
performance cars. Those are full horses, you know, and the Mustangs and Camaros of the world are a little bit smaller. The one I'm going to have trouble with is what's a challenger because it's always been the biggest of all of them. So is it just an oversized pony or is it a muscle car? It's all about the back seat, right, Derek? If the back seat has been made smaller for the rear passenger, technically it's a pony car, right? Oh, I thought you it, meant it was all about the back seat for other reasons. Are, are we back to talking about the Woodies again? <laughs> well, I was going to say, Derek, if you go back to episode 30 of No Driving Gloves, we did define hot rods because Will used to kill me because I always said he build, built, you know, street rods. I couldn't even remember Alan Shepard's name. You think I remember episode 30 of No Driving Gloves? <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> and I still get it wrong. <laughs> uh, Will in his street rod shop. What do you know? We do need to be wrapping this one up, guys. Oh, man. You know, we're man, an hour, is, this hour is and 15. Fun. Now, it's up to Greg. He can have us all on his show, and we can continue this conversation, and his listeners are going to go, who the heck are these guys? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Worst. Worst episode of Collector Car Podcast there will ever be. No driving gloves on. Probably be the longest. <laughs> if I asked you for 10 cars. But we, we easily some days could do a Joe Rogan type show. Three hours and, and abs accomplish absolutely nothing. Yep. Yep. We do that in the first five minutes. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, we've enjoyed this has having been awesome. you. We definitely will consider some of the things we talked about on having you on on some future episodes. And, yeah. uh, you know, let me see here. Let me push some buttons in on my screen because I made a whole bunch of banners for this. So let's see here. So you now we go, go see, his, see you know, Greg's podcast at the collectorcarpodcast.com, his nice. semi day job at rmsotherbees.com. Nice. So you can talk to him about. I'm assuming, you know, we didn't touch too much on your RM stuff, you know, auction listings, helping manage your collection, curating collection, et cetera. You know, so, all that good stuff. And one thing I will say is sometimes the auction houses get beat up a little bit um, for whatever reasons, you know, and I like to think like I run across all these folks that have, you know, they're in their late 70s and they have 20, 50, 100 cars and they have no plan for when they pass away. And if I had that kind of wealth and car collection and I passed away, what I would want is for my, my widow wife to have five auction companies banging down my door to get the best opportunity for her to maximize value for that collection. And, uh, I, you know, I, I hear comments like, you know, praying on widows and stuff like that. I'm like, man, that's what I would want. I'd want all the auction houses given their best pitch to sell their cars at the highest price possible in the peak of the market. So... You know, I like to see it as helping people find their dream cars and help them um, uh, maybe upgrade their collection, which is a lot of fun. That's um, some of the biggest, I guess, parts I do. I still do a little bit of automotive consulting. Uh, I don't advertise it in that, but people wanting to plan their collections or create a museum or what can yeah. they do to, to, to manage what's, what's going to happen to it when I'm gone. And unfortunately, people don't think... You know, they never want to realize that day is going to come, as unfortunate as it is. But you know, no matter what, I don't care if you've got two cars or you have 50 cars. 
it's a lot of money and, it, you know, you have to really decide and do some estate planning due to the tax implications, you know, even if you're going to leave it to family, you've got to okay. figure out how to handle it. So that's, you know, that's some of the stuff I do, but I like to pawn it off on people like Greg that have, you know, the major companies behind him and a, um, more of a day-to-day -day hand in this. So Yeah, and, and one last comment is, Tomorrow, my podcast is talking about that exact thing about the Hera collection. So I did a follow-up interview with Ken Gross. He just had three articles for Haggerty. And so I did a follow-up interview with Ken to kind of go more in depps on that because that was what, 1,400 cars. They didn't have any plans for. And, you know, the biggest collection in the history of the world with no plans. And so we kind of dig in that in our uh, our podcast that goes live tomorrow. So yeah, I, I when I was doing appraisal work, the company I worked with, they handled the LeMay collection, which was 3,200 oh, yeah. cars. Oh, my God. And there was no rhyme or reason on what Harold did. Even where the a lot of the cars were, you went and knocked on his friends' friends' houses and say, hey, do you have this T-Bird Harold owns? Oh, yeah, he lent it to me 10 years ago for a parade, and I just haven't had time to return it. Wow. <laughs> you know, that was – it's. but there was – you know, even – he didn't have – too much of a plan. His titles were in garbage bags in his office closet, and you just grabbed a handful of titles and let's go find the cars. And wow. um, it was a really interesting project in that. So, you know, no matter who you are, you know, don't don't the biggest guys in the world don't do the planning, and the littlest guys in the world don't do the planning. But everybody needs to. So that yeah. might be a bad way to leave, but you know, go ahead. <laughs> You can go ahead and visit and, you know, no driving gloves at nodrivinggloves.com. If you enjoyed the show or something, go and buy us a coffee at nodrivinggloves.com slash coffee. Um, you know, take three bucks or whatever. If you felt if you felt our time was worth any sort of reward. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook um, and learn more about when when these episodes are going to happen. It looks like we might end up being, being a um, Wednesday show. I haven't really talked too much about it, but we keep doing all these shows on Wednesdays and we've got more planned on Wednesdays. Um, so we want to thank, you know, Greg for joining us tonight and go visit his um, podcast and his webpage to figure out how to win um, a Porsche design watch and possibly a Porsche design martini watch next week. If schedules hold through, we're going to have somebody on who's going to tell you how to win five grand. So we're not giving you the prizes. We're bringing guests on that can provide you, you the prizes. Right. <laughs> so, but, can I buy you a latte? <laughs> yeah, you can try to buy it a latte. Okay. <laughs> so with all of that, I think we're going to go ahead and duck out of here. Tell everybody good night. And I've got to pick a video here that you're going to watch. Ah, we'll go back to this one that we did right, earlier. We're going to stall for John. Thank you for listening, and remember to look us up at nodrivinggloves.com. There you can find back episodes, links to products we recommend, and links to all our social media. Be sure to